Good evening. You are listening to a Rattlegin Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Rattledge. And, and tonight we continue our look back at the great works of David Simon. Yes, take our hands and cross that bridge into Baltimore as we take you from the corner to the deuce. On this episode, we are discussing, we are finishing up our discussion of Homicide, Life on the Street, Season 7. And just for shits and giggles, for kicks and pinches, for tickles and squabs, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because I love Jesse Starcher more than life itself, we will also be discussing what operates as basically the series finale, Homicide, the movie. And introducing my... Uh, my polyamory partner in crime, my, my primary, my best friend, my brother from another mother, ladies and gentlemen, big time Jesse Kins, the well, bratty one, Jesse Starcher. <laughs> How do you do, sir? So the man of names. a thousand nicknames. Not enough time, though. My goodness, Mark Rattles, <laughs> it's good to be back here. Uh, we're going to be talking Homicide Season 7. We're finishing out this series and yeah. i will say that compared to the previous two i don't know if you're going to find a whole lot here that you really really enjoyed but we're going to talk about it tonight i'm gonna tell you what jesse because i trust you i trust you implicitly the safe word is banana but i don't think i'm gonna need it with you i'm All just right. gonna let you i'm gonna let you be the master here. I'm going to let you take over. This is your show, baby doll. I'm just listen. All right. This is your this is your dog to fuck. I'm just holding the head, baby. <laughs> In other words, <laughs> right. I watched what you told me to watch and I watched Homicide the movie, but uh, this is your discussion. So let's hit it. And if this is the first time you're watching this, we are looking at all the shows that David Simon had a hand in creating or executive producing. So it's Homicide, The Corner, The Wire, Treme, Generation Kill, Show Me a Hero, um, The Deuce, all of them. And we're going season by season. So this is episode three of From the Corner to the Deuce, Homicide, season seven, and Homicide, the movie. With that said, take it away, my love. All right. So uh, real quick, season six recap. Just in case you don't remember what happened at the end of season six, that almost was the end of Homicide, the series at that time. Uh, from what I understand, reading from the wiki, they had Seinfeld had gone off the air at this point in time. So NBC had to scramble to kind of keep things going on in their, you know, in their lineup. So they left Homicide on here for one more season. So just kind of put that in your head, thinking that what that ending would have been. You know, Bayless was left mm -hmm. on the table. Uh, you know, he nobody had known if he was going to be recovering or not. Pimbleton retires or well, basically hands in his badging and resigns 
and mm-hmm. we're kind of left with just questions. So, uh, yeah, the end of se- season six, Junior Bunk shows up at the squad room. He ends up shooting up the squad room, shoots Guardy and Ballard. Uh, they all, they, the whole squad went all in on Georgia Ray. Uh, Bayless ends up, Georgia Ray Mahoney, I should say. George, uh, Bayless ends up taking a bullet for Pimbleton. Like I said, he gets in, put into the hospital. Uh, Pimble get, Pimbleton gets Kellerman to confess to killing Luther Mahoney, which has set all these events in motion. And then at the end of that, Pimbleton turned in his badge and resigned. So season seven, we're going to try a little something new tonight. We, we, we uploaded some stuff into our slides. So Mark, are you going to be controlling the slides for me tonight? I will. I'm like Vanna White in this shit tonight. Yeah. Ah, I love it. Here we go. So oh, we got some new faces. Number well, one. Well, Stalker, who, who is this beautiful creature? Ah, uh, yes. This right here is <laughs> Renee Shepard, Detective Renee Shepard. Uh, new detective on the scene. Although she's, it seems like she's kind of, it's not like she just showed up at the beginning of the season. She's been there for a little bit. You can tell she's kind of already, you know, at least got her bearings of the homicide unit but she's still the new detective no nonsense kind of gal seems to be fitting in pretty well uh and then uh before i go to the next slide i do want to say the squad room got a makeover too i didn't put a picture of the squad room here but you you open up to this weird like purple and blue squad room it looks all nice and new of course they're trying to erase everything all these memories of what just happened in there in the last season where people were getting shot they try to distance themselves from that by putting this whole new paint they rearranged everything so it's kind of weird when you step back into the squad room for the first time since season six uh how new and fresh it looks uh so bring us up our next face our our next new face of season seven and there is Giancarlo. Tell me from Breaking Bad, The Mandalorian, dude. Giancarlo Giancarlo Esposito is number one in everything, and he's awesome in everything. Look how young he is here, little little Giancarlo. Right. This is my first exposure to uh, his Mm -hmm. acting. Of course, I was watching this back in '99. Can, uh, can we just talk about that for a second? How like between Homicide and Homicide the movie, every actor on earth. (laughs) <laughs> has been in this show <laughs> like just right, all of them man. look at all every, those guest appearances that show every actor you've ever seen on television and movies especially on the east coast is in between homicide and homicide the movie is has been on this show like right. that is the one of the fun parts about watching this so many years later is to go back and go i, I know you hey hey wait a minute right. that's, the, that's that guy oh my god that's him from that thing right i remember when i first watched this season i didn't like this character this is when i first watched it um mm-hmm. and then when re-watching this i obviously knew who this was from breaking bad <laughs> you know this is uh um oh my goodness I, I was, i've been watching better call saul here lately too he's obviously in that um and but yeah giancarlo is a fantastic actor and i've definitely grown to appreciate him over time you know giancarlo um, esposito played uh that we talked what, about on this network this very network tell me he's bugging out from do the right Bug- thing you ever see do the right oh okay i've never seen do the right thing man this is a spike lee joint right that is a spike at the help section in your alexa tell me more I, alexa i really do need to <laughs> unplug that um yeah uh giancarlo esposito plays bugging out in in spike lee's do the right thing he, play, he basically plays this like like black nationalist character, but he, it's like when Jason and I talked about him on the uh, on the review, 
he he was like that guy that comes home from college and is just a douchebag. Just you know, he learned a thing in college <laughs> and had to tell everybody about everybody it. Everybody you know? about it. Right. You come home right. from college a vegan and suddenly, you know, I'm all about the animals and you just want to punch him in the dick. That's she and Carlo Esposito, <laughs> but black nationalists. Like, like the most famous thing that happens in that movie is he goes into the pizza place owned by the Italians and he looks on the wall and he was like, how are there no black people here? And Jason and I are like, that's not the first time you noticed that. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. But yeah, little Giancarlo Esposito is, is amazing as bugging out and do the right oh, thing. Great. I had, and it had been so long and I didn't, and he wasn't Giancarlo Esposito at that time. He was just this actor. Like, so yeah. you, so now, you know, him is from Breaking Bad and the Mandalorian and like all these great things that he's done. And then you go back, you're like, oh my God, that's like, like one of his early, early roles. He's so good. He's good in this too. Um, I'm not sure. And I don't want to, I don't want to wrest control of the show from you because this is your show. I'm just here. No, you go right ahead. Sir. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you're hanging out with me. Talk to me, buddy. But absolutely. What, um, what is about, I guess I'm thinking about episode 19, which is one of the ones you gave me for a homework assignment to watch. Right. And that is, that's kind of like the boat episode from, I think, season five or six. You know, there's certain episodes of Homicide where it's kind of a one room shoot. And, um, and this was a one, this was basically a one room shoot. The entire episode is a hostage negotiation situation with his father and his two little kids. And so off the the rails, the whole show. The whole episode rests on Giancarlo Esposito's performance opposite the um, the, the father who's taking his kids mm-hmm. hostage, and he's so good. He's great in that episode. And you know, you have him here with you know, his Yafit Koto is his name. Yep, the actor. Okay. Yep. So um, you have him here opposite Yafit, who I guess is his father. And they, over the course of the few episodes that I did, I was able to watch. They have some really fun, great chemistry together. Um, Speaking specifically about like homicide, the movie, the scene where he's asleep and he's like having a dream about Yafet, that might be yeah. that might be like my favorite Yafet scene ever, because right, he's such a right. straight you know straight shooter character, and he has to be silly in that scene, you know where yeah. he's like like <laughs> last one out's a rotten egg, and, like <laughs> you know. Yeah, so you do I'm, not. You, that is so strange to see coming from uh, you know Al. Yeah, Giardello. he's such a serious character. And to have him be like suddenly silly for just that one dream sequence was really, really fun. But I, all of that to say, you said you really didn't like the character. And I'm curious as to what about this character did you struggle with? Now, remember, this was way back in 99. I I think a lot of it was like, hey, you know, we're, we're sticking in these new characters. We're trying to find a replacement for Pimbleton. You know that that's exactly what they're trying to do, but you can't blame them. Um and his, I don't know, his arc just kind of got annoying to me at one point back then. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, on upon the rewatch, I, I found myself struggling to go like, why did I have, I, I was asking myself, why did I have such a problem with it? I mm-hmm. shouldn't have had much of a problem with it. And when we get to my, I did my top three uh, episodes of the season. And mm-hmm. one of those is, the episode we're talking about, which stars Giancarlo Esposito. So I obviously have learned the error of my ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it was kind of like the initial reaction to it when you watched it maybe years ago and then kind of watching it again, you're like, those feelings right. seems to have subsided. It's kind of like how I feel about certain bands 
where like I, you know, <laughs> I heard this band when I was in high school. I'm like everyone that listens to this band is a communist and a homosexual. And like, you know, 30 years later, I'm like, all right, I don't right. need to be an asshole about this. Yeah, so. we, we could give this another shot. There isn't a reason. <laughs> sure. To be, so yeah. yeah. All right. So, you yeah, know, you know what? You know what? So, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, Counting Crows are not that bad. <laughs> I'll give them another <clears throat> go. So, like sure. you said, this is, uh, you know, this is G Son. This is Mike Giordello. He's a liaison mm -hmm. for the FBI, he steps in. Uh, he's kind of helping out the homicide unit. He's going to be a regular on the show. Uh, there's definitely a bit of a strained relationship between him and his father. Uh, since his, uh, since yeah. Al's wife and you know Mike's mom passed away, uh, episode mm -hmm. nineteen is a big turning point for this character, and we'll be discussing that a little bit more. Uh, we've kind of already talked a good bit about it uh, later on when I do my top three episodes. Um, okay, next slide. Okay. You might you recognize this guy. <clears throat> Vanna. You have to call me Vanna though. <laughs> Vanna, <turn>. Vanna, next, <laughs> there we next go. slide, Vanna. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so hey. I don't know if you consider this a trade up from uh, our medical examiner, uh, Juliana Cox or not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Bring back Juliana Cox. Bring back all of Juliana, Juliana Cox. All of it. Right. All uh, of it. Get uh, so here we get. Screen. Yeah, this is our new chief medical examiner, George uh, Griscom, I think it's going to be his name. So <laughs> he's he shows up every once in a while. Uh, but uh, you might recognize him from other movies. That's for sure. I recognize him from Christmas with the Cranks. Um, yeah. Played like a Santa Claus. Uh, sort of. at least every generation. There's like 20 or so character actors. They're there in everything. No one knows what their name is. And they may all be. Yeah, right. But you this know. is Austin <laughs> Pendleton. That is Austin Pendleton. That is his name. Okay, like Ron Howard's you know? brother is a character actor who's in everything. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Clint Howard. Ron yes. Howard. Yeah, yeah. He he again. He used to be <laughs> in everything, right? His first name. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Howard's point. brother is fine. <laughs> I believe that's how he's credited in movies. Ron Howard's brother. <laughs> uh, yes, he's the guy that plays it with his nipples and little Nicky. Just putting that out there. Not this guy, but Clint Howard. I'm pretty sure. I have to <laughs> yep. look that up. Uh, anyway, maybe next, uh, maybe, so let's maybe get later. Maybe, maybe, I was gonna say, maybe later, maybe privately. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. Take us into some familiar faces here. Uh, we are going to see next slide, Vanna Tim Bayless. We all know Tim uh, Bayless, he's been with he us. He was not beginning. recognizable with his shaggy Beatles hair. Like, oh, I, man, it took he, me he, I now I watched this at work, okay. <laughs> you know, I as, a, as I'm evaluating people, solid, I put solid, a solid day in. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Hope that was on overtime. Uh, nope. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I so I'm watching. See, I'm, I watched Homicide for Homicide the movie first, and then I went back and I watched the three episodes from season seven. And I honestly, no shit, didn't recognize him. I was like, who is this new right, character? Dude. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. that's Bayless with like shaggy homeless hair and right, a mustache right. underneath his loincloth. Yeah. Yeah. Things changed for him between in the season seven to uh, the, the movie. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tim Bayless's self-discovery journey continues. Uh, he learns or he at least tells uh, one of his other uh, detectives that uh, he is actually bi-curious. Uh, episode 13 starts an arc with him that will come to head in Homicide, the movie. Uh, that where that internet killer is broadcasting his kills, and uh, we, uh, you know, we'll talk about that here in a few. Um, in episode 16, he has a date with another cop. This is interesting. He has a date with another male cop 
who ends up yeah. standing him up because yeah he because word starts getting around that Bayless is gay uh and of course this guy's gay but he doesn't want the word to get out sure. uh and then detective gaffney the the uh the guy that's above giardello or at least parallel to him somehow anyway he's he's always mm -hmm. been a dick not uh i i said detective gaffney it's uh my goodness i can't remember for anyway either way gaffney always gives giardello uh giardello a bunch of shit well anyway he comes down and he says hey bayless who has developed a zen buddhist like website he uh, and also is teaching people this is really like the the internet age starting to come about like people are starting to make their own websites and stuff like that well bayless has one where he's talking about the zen buddhist lifestyle and of course uh homosexuality things like that and how that fits into his religion and gaffney comes in and he's like i want you to shut that shit down so uh that is an interesting episode just to see how Bayless has to deal with his sexuality and the fact that he's got other people within his same career, uh, the, the, the his same, you know, job that are, are trying to hide it from others because they don't want people saying anything about what he's doing right. and what he's, and, you know, cops supposed to be a big macho man. Bayless, you know, was that at one point and now he's definitely turned a new leaf, but mm -hmm. episode 17 something happens where he has to kill a man who uh, he could just kill a man. There's a, he has to kill a man it's in self-defense. It's, it's something you can't understand. <laughs> That's um, true. How <laughs> Bayless can just that kill a man. Absolutely true. Um, he has to kill a man in self-defense. So he tracks this mm -hmm. guy down. He has to kill him in self-defense. And that uh, starts a, uh, I, we'll just call it a crisis in faith. Okay. Cause sure. he's, you know, he's living this Zen Buddhist lifestyle and now all of a sudden he starts questioning things. So that's, that's kind of all I have on Bayless, uh, until we reach the end. Uh, Al Giardello, we talked about him already. Next slide, Vanna. Uh, a lot of this ceiling, uh, a lot of the season here is just him dealing with the ins and outs of the unit, uh, his relationship with his son. And at the end of the season, he's up for promotion, but he turns it down to stay in the homicide unit. So there's uh, Al Giardello's arc throughout season seven. Next up, oh my goodness, Callie Thorne. Let's talk about her. Arr, Callie Thorne. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I need uh, to put another slide in there uh, with her. Yeah, I was face. like, I was like, well, you were like, like here comes Callie Thorne, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Just, <laughs> Here's you know, the back of her head. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what is this shit here? Hang on, let me help you, Jesse. Let me help you with oh, some visual yes, aids of please the. Callie Thorne, I don't understand what's happening here. What's wrong with you, sir? Um, here I, we go. I, I do not know. Yeah, it's just all kinds of strangeness. I, um, I was, I was. So what I did here, this is we're going to do a twofer here. This is a uh, Ballard and Falzone. So that's kind of why mm -hmm. I had both of them in the. There in she is. The, the There's my girl. Yeah, I, 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 I had that bookmarked. I don't know why it took you so long. <laughs> <laughs> and that particular key was very sticky. <laughs> right yeah uh so ballard and falzone they're doing they're you know they're kind of developing a relationship they start dating uh g uh giardel al starts to find out that they're dating and he makes it known like hey you know this is against protocol in his giardella you know al giardella way where he's kind of like he's just kind of talks about how it would be unfortunate if somebody found out because that's against protocol. Maybe can I tell you, know, you I'm not even listening to you right now. I'm just, no, you just go ahead and keep pictures. scrolling. This is yeah. my, my parts for the listeners. That yeah, part okay, right no there problem. is for the viewers. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Please just address the audio listeners at this time. Uh, so, yeah, they, uh, G makes them realize that it's against protocol. Uh, so what they do is they decide to keep it on down low. They don't let mm -hmm. they still date, but they're trying to keep it a secret. But their relationship has its ups and downs throughout the season. Uh, and that's about it. So, oh, Callie Thorne. Callie Thorne. My goodness. How are we not doing an entire TV party dedicated to just Callie Thorne shows? Uh, I will. Yeah. Well, you know what? 2023 is right around the corner. <laughs> By the time we get done with this, sure. <laughs> All, All right. right. Next slide, Ollie. I mean, Vanna. <sighs> Hang on, let me put this back in here. All right. So, do you want to talk about the other? Do you want? To, so, you put this slide up. I have problems with this slide already because you were like, oh, yeah, "Let's okay. talk about Callie Thorne," and we get and we get the side and back of her head. But this other character no. you haven't even addressed. No, I did. You weren't listening that whole time. I talked about Falzone and Ballard's relationship. <laughs> oh, okay. That's Falzone, and not, gotcha. not the hairy right. guy in the back. I don't know what his arc is. No, I just okay. know he's a he runs the gym that Ballard. Or, uh, okay. Falzone's no, you're talking about, about this baby-chested man here. This, 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 I want to talk about this scene, though. Okay, this soft, smooth baby chest that we got going on here, opposite Callie, the voluptuous Callie Thorne. The, my notes specifically at, for this scene when this happened. Okay, so Falzone mm -hmm. is like pray, uh, parading around like a peacock. He's about ready to put some boxing gloves on and show <laughs> off in front of in front of Ballard uh, mm -hmm. in the boxing ring, right? And yep. she eats it up. My notes were get a mop because she is like. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, she is all about the I can't even do the purr yeah. now. I got to get like, I got to do like dolphin sounds or some shit, like whale call. She is hot and bothered in that scene. And it's so funny because, you, you know, they make sure to show you that she enjoys every little bit of what she's seeing in that ring. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, but, if yeah. you were Callie Thorne, would you not enjoy old baby chest over there? I mean, come on. Got to give a little bit of a, you know? Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, they're like I said, they're, they're this fucking guy. Oi. Oh, good old Munch. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so can, can no, I can I ahead. can I lead off this discussion of Munch? Because um, you know, you know me, I always find something to relate to. I was watching this before we, we started the show tonight. Specifically, it's uh, I believe episode 22, and he goes into a bar and he's talking about how and he's comparing sex with, I guess, his fiance. To oh, baseball. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, is there is, for two old fuckers like us, is there not a more <laughs> resonant scene? <laughs> uh, where, where he's talking to I can forget what the, the bartender in that scene who was a homicide detective. What's his name again? For uh, what's his nuts from season five of The Wire? Uh hold up now. I, I don't yeah. know who you're talking about. Which one? Are you talking about um Lewis? Yeah. Is he talking to Lewis or Meldrick Lewis? He's doesn't matter. Okay. He's talking, doesn't matter. He's talking to, he's talking he's talking to talking a detective. To one, yeah. He's talking to one of the homicide detectives. <laughs> Hang on. One of our fans here, a big fan of my purring. Um, I'll just leave that there for now. Um, <laughs> Hi. Nice. What did what we've walked in on a lot of things you didn't need to know about. What are you referring to specifically? That you, you have fans that enjoy your porn. Yeah. Podcast. I have fans that enjoy I'm my podcast. Uh, fans that I enjoy my porn are a whole different thing, Jonas. But I I'm talking about the podcast, absolutely. Oh, purring is what you said. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have fans that enjoy my purring as well. Why have fans just enjoy me? I'm a character. I feel disturbed. <laughs> I have a 
Purr. Kids gonna Purr. have nightmares, Purr. man. Purr. I am speech. I am the <laughs> clown face. Okay. Nightmares. Nightmares. He is disturbed by people who like my purr. Arr. Anyway, um, I can stop doing that for, for a moment. So back to Munch. Um, so Munch goes into the bar. He's talking to the detective who is now a bartender. And he's like, you know, and he starts talking about like, hey, we weren't going to do premarital sex, but we, but we did it anyway. And here's what happened. And and there he's talking about like premature ejaculation or like just like coming too quickly. And but he's comparing it to like, again, he's doing baseball euphemisms to gently talk because about this is this. NBC, by the way. <laughs> so also, <laughs> I got mean, I, look, I, look, and I think this is the point that I'm trying to make. What he says basically is that. The, before they even had intercourse, he finished and, you know, and it was embarrassing and heartbreaking. And then he was like, so he was, so he was like, that was my first at bat. And the other guy goes, but you still got two more at bats. And he was like, not at my age, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to throw myself on the horn and cry. I was like, oh, this poor man. Oh, I, I, I can't yes. remember what it was we were talking about, about like, oh, it was when Sean and I talked about X. That's what it was. You know, X deals with, um, in, to some degree, I mean, it's a slasher movie and a great one at that. But X also deals with, like, uh, the loss of virility, the loss of one's sexual identity due to just age, due to time. Um, time steals all of the things that makes us people. And um, it's a very polite way of saying you get older, you can't do the shit you used to do. Um, and oh, sex yeah. is one of those things. But your brain, your, your brain, your, your uh, emotions, your, your sense of self, you still want those things. It just becomes harder to do. So, you know, the, the brain, the brain wants it, but the body is not helpful or uh, able. Um, and that's what a lot of what X dealt with. And so Sean and I had spent a fair amount of time discussing that in the review of X from a few weeks ago. And I was thinking about I, that I just here. listened to that review on Monday, by the way. It's funny oh, yeah? you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. Um, but so I was thinking about that with Munch here about they took a moment to sort of recognize that, you know, as you get older, these are things that happen and, you know, people, some people cope with it. Well, some people find other things to focus on because, you know, sex is just not as much a part of their life anymore. Um, and some people handle it badly and they don't really go too much further with it, but it was I, I think whether you're going through those things or not, certainly everyone can relate to aging. And if nothing else, that was my takeaway from that scene. And as, as much as Richard Belzer annoys the living shit out of me, I think he did a great <laughs> job with that particular bit of monologuing and uh, acting on the stool. You know, I was just curious to see what you thought of Munch's uh, premature ejaculation oh, monologue. Uh, yeah, I, I think that in my notes, I specifically wrote down the part in which i don't remember if it's that same episode or not but he mm. mentions how he was supposed to consummate the marriage yeah and yeah he he couldn't he, he that's couldn't what i'm saying do... that's that's that scene i said see okay so they this is after they got married so yeah th that's in my notes here munch okay. and billy lou get married and okay, he's so, supposed to okay. i mean billy lou's been the hotsy totsy this the, the you know for for munch slash do uh at the waterfront which is the bar that the detectives what? own who's who plays billy lou I do not know who Billy who's place her. I don't have her listed here. You might right, have to look that going. one up. Nope, I got but it. she's, you know, she's she's definitely around Munch's age, but she also has the history that we learn about this girl throughout the series is that, you know, I think at one point she was a stripper. 
Uh, there mm -hmm. is an episode in this season where Munch like uh, goes to, I think, confront her ex-boyfriend. And mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't even an ex-boyfriend. It was some like jerk. Uh, no, it was her friend's ex-boyfriend. Anyway, this guy's a real jerk. And he uh, he goes, yeah, I'm here to talk to you about Billy Lou. And the ex-boyfriend guy goes like, you talking about the lady that plays the violin with her boobs out all the time? <laughs> 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 uh but uh, anyway you, she's kind of got this risque uh personality to her and you kind of wonder if she's actually going to end up with munch because there's some feelings for Stu throughout the series as well but anyway she ends up marrying munch and uh she's definitely i mean munch is he's marrying up we'll just put it that way so, i bet he is i don't know Hey, yeah, uh, my here's my notes for Munch. Oh, okay. Starts dating is uh, starts dating is starts dating the bartender Billy Lou. Mm -hmm. Breaks slash sprains his penis at one point. We learn in episode <laughs> five. Oh, oh, who who hasn't been there when you sprain your penis? I mean, really, in your uh, we, we know way too parties, much. Who doesn't sprain a penis every once in a while? Way too much about Munch's sexual escapades throughout this season. <laughs> way Not much. enough, in my opinion. If I had known, uh, I'd have watched the whole season. <laughs> uh, he's still the conspiracy theorist. That doesn't change, obviously. He's definitely like sol solid in that role. Uh, and that's about all I have for Munch. So. Um, right. Next up. What's my name? It's going to be uh, our good... <laughs> We got the we got the fans of the purring happening here, huh? <laughs> so this this show got infinitely better with fan interaction. Um, <laughs> hey, you want me to turn the slide? You got to call me by my name, uh, Vanna. Please. Thank you. There we go, Meldrick this Lewis. Yeah, that's the character he was talking to in the bar. Okay, all right. Yeah, Meldrick. Uh, so Meldrick is partnered with Renee at the beginning of this season, uh, and of course. Who doesn't have the hots for Renee Shepard? I mean, they, throughout the season, they actually tease her because she was like Miss whatever county that she grew up in because she definitely looks like a, a beauty contestant, a beauty pageant contestant. She's a, mm -hmm. a hot, hot lady. Um, so he's got a partner with her. And, you know, he goes throughout this whole thing. I think at this slide, actually, he's telling Bayless, hey, we're keeping it professional. <laughs> so he's trying to, his best to keep it professional. They, you know, there's no, I don't think there's a relationship there as far as there's definitely some chemistry, sexual chemistry, but it's not like they are uh, dating or anything like that. Um, right. Renee ends up catching a bad beat down, like in one of these episodes. So her and Meldrick go out on a call and he goes around the back while the guys go out the front and catch her and they just start whipping the crap out of her. I mean, and mm -hmm. one of them takes off with her gun, but she grabs onto the leg of one of these guys so he can't get away. Meldrick makes his way around. And of course, puts the guy on the ground and arrests him. But she gets messed up. So that's an mm -hmm. arc for Renee and Meldrick because Meldrick ends up not wanting to partner with her or is afraid to partner with her because of what happened from further episodes throughout the season. He like he's like kind of standoffish. He's like doesn't want her to come back, be on the street, kind of like the Pimbleton thing, but right. more along the lines of can a woman do it? Can a woman actually do this job? And Meldrick is he's on the fence with that. Um so uh this leads this definitely leads to some tensions between Lewis and Shepard throughout the season. Uh so that's really kind of all Meldrick does. Uh so next slide, Vanna. 
All right. We have Detective Stivers here. Uh, not a whole lot of notes for her on season seven. We got, uh, you know, when I see her and throughout the se- throughout the season, uh, girl power comes to mind because she's definitely involved in some of the more powerful moments for the feminine parts of this cast. Uh, she's also someone that uh, is down to earth that other detectives can talk to. So whenever somebody like, especially the relationship stuff comes up with Falzone and Ballard, one of them is confiding in Detective Stivers here. And then uh, at, I think it's when Kellerman comes back in, uh, I think it's episode eight and nine, which I'll talk about that here in a second. But anyway, she gets to finally lay into Kellerman. After mm. all that crap from season six where, right. uh, you know, Kellerman shot Luther and puts her under the gun to kind of lie under oath or not under oath, mm. but basically lie on her report. She finally gets her day in the sun to really lay into Kellerman. Um, all right. Next slide, man. Now, here we go. Here's Stu Garrity. Judge uh, failing so th- from The Wire. That's right. That's right. Me and Mindy are starting a rewatch of season one so we can get prepared for next month. Um mm-hmm. And sure enough, he was on the first episode. I want to say, but, uh, I want I want to say to our fans, well, well, next month is the corner. We got two more months. We got another month to go. Uh, I think it's oh, August. I, I read that the wrong. Wire. Then, yeah, yeah, no, no, the corner, the corner is next, and then the wire. Um, well, but for all of our there. fans out there to really get the impact of this show, and just because I think everyone should watch, everybody should watch the wire. Currently on HBO Max, or if you have just HBO HBO subscription, go find the wire season one through five. Watch The Wire, then you too can be a part of this discussion. All right, go ahead. Jesse. You did now see I... my post about The Wire podcast, right? I did. I want to check that out now. Yeah, it, it's only they only have two episodes. One's the intro, which is like four minutes long, and the second one mm-hmm. is like a twenty-minute Method Man interviewing uh, David Simon. So, uh, oh, perfect. And then uh, that that just dropped June second, so June 9th is probably going to be tomorrow. It's probably going to be some more uh, another episode that'll drop. Yeah, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add that to my pod. I'm gonna add that to my podcast list. All right, Judge Bailey, go. So, uh, Garrity, season seven starts. Garrity's uh, separated from his wife, so he's going through some tough times. Um, he always ends up in some of the fun. Well, I don't want to call it fun. Interesting, more interesting discussions about racial issues. In Baltimore, uh, there mm-hmm. are definitely discussions about that throughout this season, and Stu's usually centerpiece in that. He's the Irishman, of course. He, you know, he's older. He's he's got his views, um, and you know, he he definitely goes rounds with uh, Mike Giardello at one point, where mm-hmm. they're just kind of bouncing things off each other about the racial tensions uh, in the city and and what's going on. Uh, episode twelve is a standout piece. And it becomes one of the ones I'm going to talk about in uh, my top three episodes. But it centers on uh, Garrity and his, uh, we'll just say his past. Uh, So I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Uh, He begins to drink a little heavier. He's separated from his wife. He starts drinking a little bit more. And uh, he still has a thing for Billy Lou, which, uh, you know, you could tell he's got got feelings for. Um, And that, you know, it doesn't work out so well for him. Really? Who doesn't have feelings for Billy Lou in this show? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Billy Lou. Billy um, but yeah, there you go. That is uh, Stu Garrity. Next slide, Vanna. Episode there eight and is. nine. Uh, is old... Reed Diamond. Gosh, <laughs> I, you know, I told you that he was the most annoying character for me to try and get mm-hmm. through in seasons five and six. 
right. uh, to try, you know, but he returns episode eight and nine. Mike Kellerman PI is the name of the episodes. He's now a private mm -hmm. investigator. He works the case of a dead infant, uh, sometimes with and without the help of his friends from homicide. Uh, and at the end of things, he's able to kind of bury the hatchet with some of his old work buddies, including Falzone, uh, which mm -hmm. is interesting because Falzone was always up his ass about what happened. Uh, and they were, they even drew their guns on each other at one point in season six. So, you know, Kellerman coming back, he just kind of is there to, you know, like I said, bury the axe. Uh, and, I, I, I and wonder how much of his stuff. presence, I wonder how much of his presence on the show is a studio note. You know, like mm. they uh, obviously the show is very inclusive because it's supposed to represent, you know, the uh, ethnic you know, demographics of Baltimore. But I got to wonder how much of like, you know, NBC executives like, listen, Baltimore may be mostly black, but our audience is mostly white. And we would like a pretty white boy on this show because the rest of these <laughs> trolls, you, you know, it's just not going to cut it. We're not we're not getting the sweeps, you know, <laughs> audience. That right. We need right. Here. Get the pretty blonde right. guy back, right. you know, and David Simon and the writing crew is like, we fucking wrote him off the show. You know, he's a bastard. Uh -huh. Like, narratively, he's done. And they're like, if you want your show to continue, he's not. So, you know, look at his pretty face. That. Look at that. Yeah. Pretty, I don't know, look at that pretty face. Just look at him. He's definitely, I mean, there's no. There's no hint to the, uh, the you know, the, thank you there very much. Full screen at. Um, <laughs> there's no hints that he's still suicidal or anything like that. Yeah. seems like he's got past that. Uh, and he's just kind of working uh, private investigator work. He's still a good cop, or at least at heart, he's a good cop. He's mm -hmm. trying to be a good cop. So that's all I have for Mike Kellerman. So that is really right there. That's kind of the synopsis for the season. What we're going to get into mm -hmm. next is our guest stars. Now, do you recognize that okay. man? That would be Tommy Lee. No, it would not. That no, would be Joe Perry. That is Joe Perry. From they Perry are the Smith. same person. <laughs> I would say Tommy Lee's probably a little bit younger at this time uh, mm -hmm. in 99. So 98, okay. 99, so whenever they were Joe Perry this. of Aerosmith. Yes. Joe Perry of Aerosmith. Uh, next up, he I can't remember what episode he I think it's it's a pretty early on. And oh my god, you recognize Oz. this guy, yeah, from Oz, baby. <laughs> of course, everybody else knows him from Law and Order Special Law Victims Order Unit, but fuck that show, yeah. Oz, baby, yeah. yeah. Christopher Maloney shows up here in a two parter, uh, episode six and seven. He's a bounty hunter, he's mm -hmm. got a group of bounty hunters. One of his bounty hunters kills accidentally kills the wrong guy, like well, they're going after a target. Aussie. but... Well, wait a minute now, because that's good, because, because in Oz, he was a booty hunter. Oh, good. Bounty booty. Get it, folks? <laughs> Give another purr it? there, Mark. Do you Give get it? Give another purr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. So that waiting is... Son, waiting for my son to do another run-in. <laughs> I am disturbed, father. Whack me with a chair. Enough with the fucking purring already. And just walk away. <laughs> I am disturbed. I am disturbed. Uh, so, yeah, we get to see him there. It was neat to see him in a homicide show. Mm -hmm. He's not playing Stabler in any way. But and he, actually, he plays very far apart from Stabler. He's he's kind of got mm -hmm. this accent going, definitely flexing his acting skills in the two parts that he's in. So it was good to see him. There we go. Glad you're still watching. <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> we do we do all right next for somebody else i went for somebody else to get in on the act and i'm just like, people just like putting emojis on the screen like wait just why are all these eggplants but. here um all right moving on 
Oh, oh she look at this. Mildly familiar. Yeah. Yeah. This is Jenna Malone. She shows up in episodes That's eight and right. nine, the whole Kellerman PI thing. So Young Jenna, Jenna Malone. Malone makes an appearance. Yep. Yep. And what uh, this, I think this case, she ends up, uh, the way it starts out is her and her boyfriend are at a hotel and they leave the hotel. And the next morning, like a guy goes out into a field near the motel and finds, unfortunately, a, a dead child. Uh, like she had a field. baby. Yeah, she had a she had a baby and uh, they end up trying to figure out if the baby was dead. Their story is that the baby was dead when they had it. And of course, it was a secret pregnancy. Her mom and dad had no idea if she was pregnant. Uh, but uh, it's a really good episode. A couple parts, I should say. Mm -hmm. Next All up, right. Vanna. You recognize this guy? That's oh, J.D. Bodie. Yeah, <laughs> Bodie from The Wire. Also, right. shows uh, Kenny. Wait, Kenny from Oz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, my favorite my, my favorite Kenny bit from Oz, just real quick, um, is not an actual Kenny line. It's out of easy. Like trying to get be uh not Beecher, uh trying to get McManus in trouble and get him thrown out, get him fired. And he was like, You don't understand. McManus touched Kenny's penis. <laughs> so cracked me up the way he says that. Just so matter of factly with that African accent. He touched oh, that's penis. funny. Um, yeah, that's little Bodie funny. from the wire. Yeah. Uh he's I think a suspect in a murder here dealing with this uh, motherfucker uh, is in everything ever shot on the East Coast ever. He's in You're like every episode right. of Law and Order. He's in Homicide, The Wire, Oz. This guy is this guy was the most working actor that no one knows right. the name of or who the hell I'm talking about, but he's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> JD Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hell of an actor. All right. Okay. Uh, so that brings the guest stars to an end. Next up, we're going to be talking about my favorite top three episodes here of this season. And uh, up first is a episode 12. This is called the same coin. So we already talked about, there's a little bit of uh, a love triangle going on between Stu Munch and Billy Lou. That, that certainly seems what's happening in this picture. <laughs> Mike has, <laughs> Mike is not doing anything here. Mike is trying to hold him back, not restrain him. Well, yeah, they're we'll cuddling, say man. That's not, that to me looks like cuddling. So uh, this this episode opens up where Stu's having flashbacks. There's a, a murder mm -hmm. that happens uh, where there's a military man that ends up dying. He recognizes a tattoo as being somebody that uh, or somebody that had fought in uh, the I, I believe it's it's in Nam. Um, but he starts having flashbacks. He starts having some personal issues dealing with uh, his military service because it emotionally scarred him. Um mm -hmm. It brings him into direct conflict with Munch. This is why this is interesting. He Munch is always the conspiracy theorist. There's actually a part in this episode where Munch has to go into the FBI building, I think, with G with uh, Mike, mm -hmm. and he's like, of course, he can't, he can't, like his skin crawls just being inside of some big government building, and he's giving everybody a hard time because he thinks there's a big conspiracy, this big mm -hmm. conspiracy, that. So he has all this problem with like federal authority keeping tabs on everybody. That's one of the big things that Munch has. Well, anyway, so Munch and Stu kind of get into it because Munch gets wind of Stu's Vietnam service and the fact that he was discharged, I think dishonorably, I think is what they say. Um, so he has the government, Mike, pull Stu's military records. 
specifically just to get under Stu's skin. And then at the end of the episode, uh, he goes, uh, Stu gets wind of it. He's pissed. He is so pissed. He walks over to the waterfront and all he does that whole episode uh, when he walks into the waterfront is just eyeball munch. Like everybody's talking to him. He will not look away from munch. And he's kind of like not, he's, he's conversing with everybody, but he just keeps his eyes on. And finally it boils over and he's trying to get munch to come around the uh, bar and they're going to go fist, you know, they're going to have a hand to hand. Uh, fist-to-face kind of deal here. Well, really thought that was going in another direction, and I started thinking about <laughs> Robert, like, who's got two free hands on an open weekend? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so what we find out is that Stu actually was discharged dis- uh, dishonorably because he stood up to his uh, major, whoever, captain that was out there uh, and, and directing him to do things. When they went into this village, he was telling people to kill these innocent civilians. He said, no, I'm not going to do it, and therefore they they got him. Uh, the, the captain's like, okay, you're done. Um, and I found it very interesting to see that how much just to get under his skin when it gets every single value he had, you know, he, he, just to get under Stu's skin, he went and he went and used the government to do exactly what he hates the government do. Uh, do yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what the government does, <laughs> what that government should, be doing? <laughs> I should be reading instead of talking. Um, he, <laughs> he just, hates Jesse. What did you think of this episode? It was I, good. Made me, <laughs> stay on script, Starcher. Hey, so I mean, you know what? Since you're since since I interrupted you, let me continue and say you know what my favorite munch bit from this entire uh, series of this of the stuff that we're reviewing tonight like i want to say maybe it was episode 13 i was trying to remember what point in the day i watched this but they're playing the cd-rom game which by the way oh, this yes. show is so old how old is this show that they're like it's an it was an amazing thing that you could play a video game on a cd-rom on a computer like this was high-tech shit oh and, yeah and Munch, very prescient, uh, very forward thinking. like, you don't understand. Video games are what's going to make us docile and easy to control by the government. And everyone's like, shut up. <laughs> and then 2022. And then what does he do? And then what well, does he do? Saying, Munch sits down and grabs a joystick. And sure, he starts sure. playing, like, right after yep. that. And, and it, well, I was going to say, like, he, he, the whole, the, his whole thing is he's like, he's not wrong. You know, there's all of these distractions to keep you from focusing on real world problems and gathering together to make serious change. Meanwhile, here in 2022, we have Twitter, you know, yeah, <laughs> we, right. they, they won. I don't know if anyone knows that or not, but you know, the people trying to distract us. Yeah. Game over. We're done. Here's so. the thing. I, I, I went into that scene and I, my thoughts were like, there's no way this squad room could even afford a PC that could run a game that looks like that in 97, yeah, 98, right. whatever. It's like, no, come not on. Even. I mean, they're sitting there playing. They're, they got a controller in their hand while the VCR right. is playing this tape. That, this. There's <laughs> no way that that there was no way that that was a like government issue. They stole that off a crack dealer and just plugged it in. They're like, this is from the evidence room. We don't really need it for evidence. Uh, so we're playing man. it. All right. Next slide. Next slide, too. Vanna. Thank you. Please. Oh, yeah. All right. Can well, we, I mean, we need to we need to process this episode. I'm ready. We need to take I'm it ready. here. 
Let me, let me, I'll break it down. I've got the wiki yeah. description here. Let me do that first and then we'll talk about it. Uh, so uh, I, I can read this one. A man takes his two children, son and stepdaughter hostage, shoots and wounds a cop when the quick response team arrives and then demands to negotiate with Mike. Mike learns that the man has acted out of desperation over being laid off and his wife leaving him. When his wife breaks through the police line, he shoots wildly out the window and kills her. Not, I don't, I mean, he's shooting, but I, you know, he's not intending, I don't think, to kill her. He accidentally kills her, but he has no idea that that happened. Right. Um, a fact that Mike works desperately to hide from him. The man offers to trade his gun for a pizza, but breaks the deal and lets his, stop, his stepdaughter go before killing his son and himself too, quick, too quickly for the QRT to react. Mike berates himself for missing a chance to save both children, even if it would have led to the man being killed by the QRT. So at this point, and and with this episode right here, it's a big turning point for Mike. But I, I don't want to talk about that here. Let's let's go ahead. You said we got to process it. So, and I actually kind of blinked and missed this. Fill me in. He is it a is it a shooter that takes the kid out, or is it the dad that took the kid out? It's the dad. The dad kills the dad kills uh, his kid, his son, and then kills himself. Okay. So we talked about episode structure and narrative that this is one of those single, not really a single shot, but if you've ever, for those watching, if you've ever watched an episode of television that kind of takes place in one or two different settings and it's a lot of long takes, there's no cuts. It's very dialogue driven. That's a lot of this episode. It's a lot of, it's a lot of the dad and Gene Carl Esposito talking and Gene Carl Esposito having to do hostage crisis and negotiation there's this really scene. There's a great little bit of this where they 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 don't want to open fire. There's kids in there, and they don't want to hit the kids, so they really do have to coax him out. Uh, this this whole episode really resonated with me, you know, in that the father, you know, working in the mental health field, I've heard people talk the way he talks. I've heard people do what he's doing. You know, he's he's paranoid. He's untrustworthy. You know, he's demanding. He's entitled. He's frustrated. He feels it's funny. We, we've talked over the last couple of years over, you know, how did we get to Trump? You know, and, and talking about like the dissatisfaction among middle class white men, especially, but white people in general and feeling like they are right or wrong. And that's and I am not addressing their grievances. I am stating that they existed. Um, you know, feeling not represented in the culture, not represented in government, just, you know, right or wrong, feeling like the world they knew and felt they had a degree of control over was drifting away from them and reacting violently in many cases um, and seeing Trump as a uh, as a way back to the normalcy that they once uh, treasured, that they once felt comfortable in and this is 98, 97. So we're talking, you know, the Clinton years um, and certainly the world, you know, but even if you think about what was happening during the Clinton administration, NAFTA, uh, GATT, I believe was the other one. Um, there was a lot of talk right or wrong. And again, I don't really want to get into it. There's a lot of mythology around this that I've written about, but um, jobs going overseas, Mexico, you know, the South, the South Park joke, they took our jobs, you know, people feeling displaced. You know, the idea of the American dream slipping out of people's hands. You can't, 
you, you know, you can't be just a high school educated person doing a labor job and take care of a family anymore and be able to buy a house and a car. That world is gone. Um, that sort of thing. And he is sort of an analog for all of that. And uh, it's not that I sympathize with his point so much. I sympathize with the fact that he had a point. You know that he would, you know, that he was looking for redress. He was looking to, uh, he was looking to uh, state his grievances in a very public way. And the only way he thought anyone would listen to him with a gun, right. which you know, no one will listen to me unless I shoot someone, is as resonant in 1998 as it is in 2022. You know what I mean? Right. It's like this is almost a timeless episode. And then the tragedy of and the performance therein of Giancarlo Esposito dealing with the fact that he killed himself and the child and the balls, the balls on homicide to kill a kid in primetime television. Because right. Robert Winfrey and I have talked at length about how Hollywood has no balls and won't do stuff like that. And so the kids and dogs survive nuclear you know, holocausts. But they straight up shot a kid on television in this show. It broke yeah. my heart. But it was artfully done, and, and it's just probably one of the single best episodes of television I've ever watched. Yeah, it, it was television. a really, really powerful, really powerful piece of television. There is a lot of I talk to people who unfortunately get laid off all the time. You know, that's yeah. just the start of this guy. That's just what started his. He gets laid off. His wife left him, took the kids. Uh, or was planning on taking the kids. And just like you said, the only way he could get somebody to actually just hear him out mm -hmm. is to grab a gun and start waving it. You know, I don't, yeah. this episode, see, here's the thing. This episode, I don't think this man intended it for it, obviously, to get as far as it did. At the beginning right. of this episode, you're, you're certain that there is hope that Mike's going to be able to talk this guy out or at least save the kids. You, you are pretty sure it's going to have a happy ending, but right. what ends and the up balls that it doesn't the balls right. on the writing, you know, bravo, David Simon yeah. and company for being brave in the face of um, ongoing cowardice in Hollywood to go, to go that far. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I mean, that's why I pointed it out to you. I was like, if you're going to watch anything from this season, you need to watch the two that lead up to the movie and you need to watch mm -hmm. this episode because this episode is absolutely the best the season has to offer. So By far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as it was it's deserved at the top 3 here. All right. All now right. let's talk about porn. Yeah, goodness, snuff films <laughs> right. on the right. internet. Everyone, this is this such a novel concept, but the it's serious like, part of the show is over. Like forget about Trump, forget about <laughs> white grievance. Let's talk about bondage. What we all came here for. What a I, again, like I said, this is 99, 98, 99. They're showing this. Mm -hmm. These are people watching <clears throat> snuff films or films mm -hmm. broadcast live on the internet. Now that was, yeah. you know, that's, that's a, that's a big stretch for back then, but it's, so it's obviously sure. brand new. Um, mm -hmm. and, but anyway, here we have this, this guy, it's supposed to be a whole, uh, uh, you know, a big production. And then it turns out uh, people are actually watching, they, they think it's fake initially, but then they start to realize that there are deaths that are happening and Baltimore right. cops are going or homicide detectives are trying to catch this killer before he does it again. And of course, he just kind of leads them on. And, you know, he actually is playing with the police at one point, 
can you catch me? Can you catch me? He's spoofing IP addresses. I mean, my gut, this guy is smart. So anyway, mm-hmm. I'll read from the wiki here. Our killer here, Luke Ryland, he gets he gets caught in episode 13. Homicide.com is the name of that episode. So he gets caught. He has to go to trial. Well, trial keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And, and then finally, the lawyer's like, hey, my client's been waiting for trial for 120 days. And it turns out there's a legal loophole that, okay, well, I guess you're released and you're to go, you can go free. <laughs> so right. the killer goes back out on the loose. Now, this infuriates Bayless. Yeah. Bayless is so upset. He ends up pushing the uh, attorney district attorney Danvers down the steps at the courthouse. I mean, he's mad because this happened. He knows this guy's a killer. They had him dead to rights. Every, they couldn't believe that this murderer is going to get away. He killed multiple people. Um, so shortly after Ryland taunts Bayless with his plans to continue his murders in new Orleans. So this, this guy's like, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. Bayless shows up and, and, confronts him he's like no i'm out of here i'm leaving i'm going to new orleans uh bayless quietly packs his things and leaves the squad room without an explanation uh at the end of the series lewis and Shepard respond to a call in the of a body in an alley and there lies luke ryland our killer shot and dead as they begin to investigate their conversation go ahead who's the actor playing luke he looks familiar where do I know him mm, from? I don't know. I do not have him. Okay. I do not have him on uh, my notes here. Okay. Um, no idea. But uh, as noted here in the wiki, uh, as they begin to investigate their conversation, mirrors, mirrors an exchange between Lewis and Cressetti and Gone for Good, season one, ending with the same line. That's what's wrong with this job. It ain't got nothing to do with life. So the big point of this episode is that Bayless most likely killed this man. And then resigned from homicide. So that was how we ended season seven, man. Bayless resigns. He's taken on a vigilante. You know, well, you know, he took on a vigilante vibe. He, he did justice to this man is what he felt like he did. And he decided he couldn't be a homicide cop anymore. Uh, so that's the end of season seven. That's the end of my top three episodes but I don't know if you want to say anything before we get into homicide. The movie, like you said, is the pretty much most likely the finale. But just imagine homicide. The movie, I think, comes around and I want to say 2000. So luckily, there's not that much time that separates the end of season seven to homicide. The movie, um, mm-hmm. there is definitely some time that passes narratively because we jumped to a completely there had to have been at least maybe two or three years that passed. But anyway. Season seven ends. Bayless, who was once this doughy-eyed homicide detective, comes into the force. He uh, comes into the squad room, and he wants to learn everything. He wants to catch these killers, uh, and then he ends up becoming one himself. I mean, that's an arc, dude. It really is an arc for this guy. When you look at it from season one to season seven, Tim Bayless, one of the central characters of this piece, went from homicide detective to murderer. So there you go. What do you think? I just, um, I, I only want to address the final scene between Bayless and Ryland, and Ryland um, that leads into Homicide the movie because the, the big finale in Homicide the movie, and, and we can just get into talking about this, is Andre Brower and, and Bayless, um, Pen, Pembleton and Bayless, uh, talking against the fence, and, and they're, ta- they're talking sort of like, having a philosophical discussion about 
um, when to use your gun and when not to, you know, when to use lethal force and all of that. And Bayless, you know, and for Pembleton, it's very clear. It's as, it's as clear as the day is long. But for Bayless, he's like, but I've, I, but you're not right about that. You don't know what you're talking about. And I've killed a guy. And then the whole scene just is just that. It, it just becomes uh, Bayless and Pembleton going back and forth over the fact that he killed Rylan. And I, did I? And I'm just did I miss it at the end there? Because like they show him killing him in the movie, but I don't recall seeing it in the episode. And I was watching fairly closely, so I'm like, did I miss something? No, you, you don't see it. Okay. It, okay. You you just you just see him confront. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see him confront Ryland, and then I think he goes to apologize to District Attorney Danvers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next day, he's just packing his stuff up. And you're like, right. oh, wow, okay, he must have become so disenfranchised with what's going on in the homicide You know that he's decided mm-hmm. to quit because justice hasn't been served. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Ryland lays at the bottom uh, or uh, at the back of an alley, dead, and right. Bayless served that justice right up. So, no, it's, it's inferred. It's not a thing okay. that you no going into homicide well the movie um kind of starting from the back and working all the way back to the front of the movie um that scene between uh, pendleton and bayless is outstanding it's i mean andre brower we know is an outstanding actor and he really carries that scene but there's so much subtext there's so much drama there's so much give and take in uh between the those two actors and all they're doing is arguing over whether or not bail has actually killed a guy that's all it just sort of deteriorates into that and it's just it's a it's a marvelously well-written and well-acted scene and i, and I really want to draw special attention to it because a lot has been argued uh, on this network and you know throughout podcast and nerd culture podcast culture and nerd culture over what constitutes good and what constitutes bad as opposed to just personal preference you know, mm-hmm. I like is not is good. And people right. tend to conflate the two. Um, and this is, an, this is an example of well-written drama. If, if you need to, like, study, you know, uh, anatomy of a scene, look no further than Pembleton and Bayless discussing his execution of Ryland. It's, right. it's gorgeous drama. It really is. And, and right. those two, it's almost like a, a wrestling match. They don't touch each other, obviously, but it's, you know, <clears throat> they're maneuvering around each other through the use of dialogue. It, it's just, it's just beautiful. And, you know, it's, I always talk about like, what are the things that motivate me to keep doing this? It's stuff like that. And I wouldn't have known to even, I wouldn't have known it was there. It's this little beautiful Easter egg out there in the, you know, in the content universe that I didn't even know about until you told me go watch homicide the movie you won't be sorry and i wasn't um the uh i I do now for a criticism since i've gushed over something um because i can't be totally positive so they so was it season six the finale is they shoot up the the squad room right yeah junior bunk okay i'm getting a little tired of homicide sort of resting their laurels on the just shoot everything in the fucking room (laughs) Jesus Christ is getting a little overused here. We open Homicide the Unit and they shoot Yafit Kodo. Like, come on, right. man. Stop shooting. I feel like every other episode, after a while, they're like, it's the one thing people are paying attention to is when we kill a cop on this show. So- right, right. <laughs> yeah. To, I, don't to give a, I don't know how much Law and Order you've watched, but they don't kill cops all that often on that no, show. No, it's not. It was, it's, after a while, it was every other episode. Yeah, people are getting... Yeah. It's like fucking Janeway blowing up the Enterprise. <laughs> 
to do a, a quick synopsis here of the movie, um, G's running for mayor. So I, like I said, I, time had to have passed because you're not going to just be like, okay, is that a whale? That's a whale. <laughs> That's a uh, whale. I don't know. I don't know, man. You <laughs> mentioned you, a whale at one point. I'm pretty up. sure. I'm I, pretty sure you mentioned well, I, a whale I at one point. That might be a reference a little late, you know, you know, but you know, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take the late hit. Um, yeah. I I said, I I don't know how else to react to this. Like, what do I do? Whale song or something? I believe that's what that's a reference to. So bravo. Well done. Don't, don't encourage this man to make any more noises. Let's stop doing that. I don't want to hear a whale song. I've got (laughs) enough purring for tonight. (laughs) I've put enough (laughs) stupid crap on screen. Uh, so like I said, time's passed. G's running for mayor, uh, and he gets shot. He's in critical condition. So uh, as the title says right here, the one case so important, every detective is back. So they bring back just about everybody you could think. think (laughs) They brought back everybody. They they Uh, brought back, they went into the future and brought back people from fucking generation kill. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. John Bernthal's Um, in this. Um, everybody's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so Mike, uh, who I think ran, he, he just got tired of the politics of being in the FBI, he's now a beat cop. He's actually patrolling the streets now. Uh, so Mike Giardella on the streets. Stu Garrity is actually in G's old place. He's the uh, lieutenant of the homicide unit. Ned Beatty comes back as Bolander. We didn't watch any of those episodes with Ned Beatty uh, between five, so six, and seven. It's hard for me to see Ned Beatty in this role because all I can think about is this character from Deliverance. Forever oh, will Ned Beatty <laughs> be running from hillbillies in the Tennessee woods with his oh, ass on goodness. fire. On right. fire. <laughs> um, Munch, he's in New York now. You know, he's doing the law yep. and order thing. So uh, Kay Howard, which we hadn't seen Kay uh, since season five. Kay is actually, uh, she's she's still working. She's out there still working. I don't know if she's doing robbery or whatever, but she gets involved. Uh, Bayless. He's like I said, he resigned. He's out fly fishing, but he gets the call and he's like, okay, I got to go help out my buddy, uh, Al. And then Pimbleton, who is teaching something, I assume it's something law related because he is yeah. a brilliant man. Uh, he gets the call and Pimbleton's back. So he, he hops in on this. Kellerman gets involved. Um, now, one of the key things that we know we definitely need to mention, I don't have a slide for him, but Jason Priestley shows up in this yes. movie. And Jason Priestley beats the shit out of the homeless man. I was like, oh, Brandon, <laughs> no. I know. Yeah, I was, just I seeing him realize, on the screen. Because I, 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 it made me start to think, like, Jesus Christ, when was Beverly Hills 90210? And I'm like, I was in high school this during is, that. Th- well, this is, I mean, I think the... Beverly Hills 9021 is about to hit their last episode, I think, in 99, 2000. I remember me and my wife okay, watching yeah. the final episode of that. Uh, it's either 2000. I think it's right around there. So that's happening as this movie's filming. For those that don't know, Jesse and his wife have been together since they were like 12. So, and so you're going <laughs> to close. So when, you, 14. So, when you, so when you hear like, so me and my wife were watching Ghostbusters in theater. You're like, you know why, you know, when me and my wife went to see Star Wars in 1977, that's, uh, that's why he, cause he's been married since the year of the first, play. our first movie was Wayne's world too in the theaters together. <laughs> I really there thought you you like our first movie was, was a silent film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no jokes there. I'm being, I'm being real up front. Um, Wayne's world, got so it. anyway, uh, so yeah, we get, we get, you know, they're doing this investigation. Like I said, Jason Priestley, mm-hmm. who's a buddy for Gaffney, by the way, Gaffney comes in, he's being an asshole all, uh, like he always is. Um, so th- this is real interesting because the culprit who ends up shooting G is a guy who's upset about the fact that 
Al is running on a platform of legalizing drugs. And because his mm -hmm. son died of a drug overdose, he like fashions this video camera with a gun in it and shoots Giardello. And that's what they end up finding out is that it, it, it was all, you know, a politically motivated uh, shooting. So, mm -hmm. all right. Um, I want to talk about just real quick. I want to mention how you talked about how G actually does wake up. He does wake up, even though he have that dream sequence, he does wake up and talk to Mike for a little bit. So G looks like he's, uh, Al, Al looks like he's actually recovering here a little bit from getting shot. And as the, uh, we, we, we talk about the scene that happened before they go to the waterfront, which is Bayless versus Pimbleton. And I want to touch on that real quick. What you said, you know, Bayless is just looking for absolution. He says that to Pimbleton. He's like, absolve me, Frank. I did this. Absolve me. Take me in. Put me in handcuffs and right. walk me down. I need, I need this. He basically wanted Pimbleton to, to take that off his chest. And Pimbleton's like, I don't need to be here for this. I don't need to hear this from you. Remind, you know, these guys have been partners for years. Now, granted, they weren't for a little while here at towards the end of things, but they have been friends and partners for years. And Bayless mm -hmm. has always looked up to Pendleton, always. And he's just like looking for some type of absolution. And at one point says that he wants to kill himself. Put a pin in that. So, all right. Fast forward to the waterfront. Everybody's celebrating. This is the bar that the detective zone, all the detectives show up there. They're celebrating. They're having a great time. Uh, they've caught the culprit. G seems to be in recovery. Then J.H. Brody walks in, the documentarian from season six that we talked about. And he looks something's up with him and everybody's like what's going on and he says al died al had an aneurysm and she's dead so at the end of this at the end of this movie al giardello has died but that's not where it all ends we then get this afterlife scene which i don't know if you have any commentary on that or not i mean granted it's only like maybe five ten minutes but g shows up at the squad room it's really eerie mm -hmm. how they do that as Pimbleton and I think Mike meet for the first time and they're kind of walking out the out, out of the squad room while G walks right in between them. And of course, you know, he, he can't see them. They can't see him. And then it kind of transitions into this spot where the squad room is filled with all of these victims, including like this little girl that uh, was G's first child victim that he had to deal with. Plus there's dead detectives all very much alive. And Crissetti's one of them. And I think I'd have to research this to make sure, but I think Crisetti's the one that committed suicide at one point. But anyway, so Crisetti's like, hey, come on in, Lieutenant. Sit down here. We're going to play some cards. And of course, they kind of pretend to be his, I don't know how to say pretend, but they, they are his guide to kind of like the afterlife. It's him and Bo Felton. Mm -hmm. They sit down at the table. He starts to play cards, but G notices there's a fourth chair there. And he asks, who's the fourth chair there for? And they're like, we don't know. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what we're going to find out soon enough. And then they proceed to have some coffee and play some cards. So who do you think the fourth chair is for? Ooh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it's going to be Bayless. I think Bayless kills himself. I think Bayless <laughs> kills himself and ends up uh, in the, you know, in that afterlife squad room. All right. So, that's Homicide, the movie, and Homicide Life on the Street, season seven. That is three seasons of Homicide, all by David Simon. Let me ask you a general question, and then um, 
we'll use this to sort of close out the show because again we are examining all of the great works of david simon this is dave david simon had a has a voice david simon has a perspective he is trying to tell you things what is david simon trying to say with these three seasons of homicide that we've been discussing in your opinion i mean that's a good question i mean you're looking at uh, i i always look at homicide as being a gritty realistic view of Mm -hmm. what happens on the street that nbc could show now later we're going to have hbo really show us some good stuff (laughs) sure you know it's well it's going to get better but uh, i mean that was always what uh, go ahead well i was gonna say if you look at homicide and you look at the corner and then you look at the wire it might be a little too early to start talking about this but um you know i can always address it again later it's almost a trilogy and it's you know it's okay here is the law and order side of the drug war um but we're focusing on what you're showing yeah this the drug war begets skyrocketing murder rates for whatever the reasons are yep and if you remember again he wrote a book about this and the book is homicide life on the street and that's what the show is based on and so david simon clearly saying hey the drug war has had this net effect on the city of Baltimore, a traditionally poor city in the, you know, in, in the aftermath of the great fall of the middle class and the working class in that area. And, and so now well, how are we dealing with this? And David Simon's perspective, and you see this in Homicide, and you also see it in The Wire, is how what a circular sort of endless uh, quagmire uh, murder investigations tend to be. You're just sort of shoveling shit against the tide. And, and the so toll homicide, that it takes on the people trying to right. investigate this stuff. Yeah. No, no, almost nobody gets out of this clean and healthy. You right. know, you think you you think you're doing the Lord's work uh, by by and bringing people to justice for doing sinful things by committing murder. But really, you know, the drug war and then the subsequent homicides and the subsequent investigations of said homicides just it's like a nuclear bomb going off. It just kills everyone around you spiritually, yeah. emotionally, mentally, all of that. And in some cases, physically. And so for me, it's like David Simon's like, I, I, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about the toll murder investigations take on people just trying to do good works. And then there's the shift of like, okay, well, we've talked about the cops. We've talked about the, you know, the homicide unit. Let's talk about the drugs themselves. Let's talk about how the drugs affect the people that we're th- slamming into, uh, we're throwing into jail and into prison. And that's the corner, you know, generational drug use in a family. That's what the corner is going to be about. And we'll talk about that next month. And then there's the wire, and the wire kind of takes the same similar uh, themes of homicide and expounds upon them. It says, let's see how the criminal side of it and the law side of it sort of work together in this sort of circular uh, interdependent relationship and how nobody gets out of that clean. Nobody on the drug side gets out clean. Nobody on the cop side gets out clean. And But also through the mechanism of, of showing you the ins and outs of a, uh, a detail, a, uh, a long form detail using wiretaps, uh, it becomes the structure for which you're hanging on all these other things to talk about in the culture. Um, and so I think between homicide, the corner and the wire, you really get this full view 
of what in you know in just the city of Baltimore what the drug war has done to that city. Um, worse than any you know worse than any military occupation or attack uh, bomb going off. When you think about the amount of people over generations it's affected on every level, on you know the people living in those communities, the drug addicted folks, the cops that investigate them and put them away, all of it. Can, you know, it's almost dep it's depressing. <laughs> I I love yeah. the show. I love the drama. I love the I love the conversation that comes out of it. But it, you can't help but get a little depressed by it as well. So, yeah. um, that's sort of my take bereft, on our discussion of <laughs> bereft, of, bereft hope. of hope. Yeah. yeah, but that's sort of my take on um as we examined it, just going leaving the wire in the corner out of it for just a minute, just looking at looking at homicide you really do get a sense of David Simon's motivation and desire to show that, you know, most of us don't think about homicide investigations. We don't think about uh, homicide detectives. Just, you know, you become a cop, you get promoted, you get promoted, you become a detective, you're off, you know, doing great. But as we've seen, look at what happens to Kellerman over the course of the three seasons we looked at. Look what happens to Pembleton. Is there anybody left in this show from season five to season seven that didn't leave under like duress, you know, right, they didn't leave right. because they were bereft of hope because they, you know, they had been burned out or um, just because of the negative nature of the job, were making terrible decisions and ultimately were drummed out of the service. Um, Munch broke his penis. <laughs> and really that's the greatest tragedy of all. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll thank you to not steal my thing of taking something serious and taking the piss out of it. Thank you very much. That's my job. Uh, no, I, I, I'm actually running through the cast in my head to try and think about who mm -hmm. came out of that unscathed. I who mean, because Guardian Ballard got shot. I think, uh, you know, Munch is probably the only person that I can think of that actually did not get shot or as in some bad situation. I mean, he ends up with the girl at the end and he just can't i mean i mean he just can't consummate the marriage i guess that's a tragedy so happens but, to the best of us bro don't and hey, look, don't penis shame don't penis shame uh, nah, performance nah, nah. anxiety is real not that i would know oh your libido is as strong as ever sir fucking like he man <laughs> in the 80s he man <laughs> and the master of the universe uh it's a good time Mullen? man thank you Thank you. You know, thank you very much. For at least we, we, we did. We, I did three seasons of homicide. Like I said, one of my favorite shows from back in the day. And it was good to revisit it and sit down yes, and talk I'm like about it. And this, I'm, 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 I'm like kidnapping you once a month to do like all the David Simon shows ever. You don't have to thank me. You're essentially a hostage. Uh, <laughs> so. I don't think I'd watched homicide, the movie until we did this. So that okay. actually gave me a closing chapter for a series that I didn't realize something was out there. Very nice, Michelle. Very <laughs> Speaking nice. of something that's out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Anywho, um, you're not kidding. Very, very nice. Very nice. Uh, it's a very nice. Very nice. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I pitched you this a little ways back before, before I decided I was cutting back on podcasts and suddenly had to figure out how we were still going to do this because I wasn't going to renege. You know, it was just one of those, like, passion projects of mine i'm like i just want to talk about david simon shows i love the guy i love what he's done my the wire is the best show ever 
I want to talk about all the Dave and Simon stuff. And so we're, we are now three late, three chapters into this. So I'm feeling good about it. I'm really excited to talk about The Corner next. Um, for those that don't know what it is, The Corner was a six-episode miniseries that aired on HBO, sort of the prequel to The Wire in a way, um, much like Homicide is. And it just follows the mom, dad, and the son of a broken family through the, um, the heroin addiction, the perils of heroin addiction and what it does to those people. Um, so it's, it's awesome. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. But it's it's some of the best TV you're ever gonna watch. So you've never seen it, right? This is this is gonna be this no. is gonna be the first experience with this the corner, be, right? Yep, uh, I am going yep. to experience be experiencing this for the first time. If you've got six hours to kill in a box of Kleenex, I suggest The Wire. Who's got two, <laughs> who's got who's got a free hand in an empty weekend? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be checking that out here, man. I can't wait. Now now I'm actually like, man, only six episodes. That's gonna be really laid back compared to cramming 23 into they stop short of one month. they 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 stop short of wanting you to kill yourself by the time it's over so that well, six <laughs> episodes is plenty <laughs> be your own kellerman <laughs> exactly i hope i've sold you i hope i've sold you on the magic of the corner the show likely to kill get you to kill yourself <laughs> it's a good time oh, for the family man. let me tell you all right, speaking of a good time for the family, last night, myself, uh, the protocol son, Jason Teasley, David Wright, and everyone's favorite happy-go-lucky film critic, Robert Winfrey, uh, we reviewed Top Gun Maverick. Uh, we spent the first 10 minutes just Ooh. talking about, uh, for the first time in damn you Hollywood history, I actually asked Robert what works that way and what doesn't. I almost had a heart attack, quite frankly. Wow. Wow. 10 years of me saying, who gives a fuck? And I was like, no, no, no. Somebody asked me about it. So now you have to talk about this. Right. And talk about right. it. They did. Solid 10 minutes of jet fighter maneuvers. Planes. Trains and automobiles, baby. Yeah, that's good. Um, speaking of planes, trains, and automobiles, we also reviewed uh, me and the Podsmen. Uh, my buddies, Chris Sheen and Chris Bailey. Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? We reviewed Hell in the Cell featuring Cody. Oh, Cody. Um people listening mm. to this late at night like stop screaming my husband's trying to sleep um so, <laughs> you wake him up or wake the baby or something anyway uh then we then um because it's pride month and we're doing a series of shows focusing on uh the good the bad and the ugly of queer cinema like we did for black history month myself and sean comer did an extra special episode of damn you hollywood where we reviewed fire island which came out on june 3rd uh, currently available on Hulu, and I don't know why it was on the list in the first place, but apparently it's an LGBTQ plus movie, uh, Master on Amazon Prime. If you can figure it out, I will send you a shiny nickel in the mail. Um, we also, because it's Jurassic World is this Friday, Jurassic World Dominion, we've been re-airing our old Jurassic World content, starting with the um, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for Dinosaurs and Dragons, and then uh, Long Road to Ruin, Jurassic Park, Damn You Hollywood, Jurassic World, Fall, uh, Jurassic World, just Jurassic World, not Fallen Kingdom. That's already up and available. And uh, that's it. Next week, we will have uh, a re-airing of our review of The Good Dinosaur, um, The Long Road to Ruin for Toy Story. Jesse, was it Toy Story or was it Metal Hammer of Doom that made you a uh, part of the, the Rattlevision Broadcasting cult? That'd be Metal Hammer of Doom. I'm not, I mean, okay. I like Toy Story, but <laughs> I can't well, say that I, that made me go, oh, I gotta pay attention to these guys. I, be I believe that's officially when this became a cult. 
because like I, like Jason heard the long road the, the long road to ruin on Toy Story, Andrew Graham heard it, and like all of a sudden, all these people who were quietly listening to our little itty bitty show heard the Toy Story thing were like contacting me afterwards, and and then I kidnapped them and put them in my basement, and I pulled them out periodically to do shows. So, <laughs> but you but you came uh, willingly because of the metal high. Uh, yeah, I showed up. Okay, you want to if you want to trace <clears throat> trace it back, it's the Casual Heroes. You were making mm-hmm. appearances over there, and I was like, oh, I'll check this dude out. And the next thing I know, I see you guys doing Metal Hammer of Doom retrospectives on Megadeth. Mm-hmm. Talking about clutch, I'm like, yep. this is my best friend, and you're my best friend. Actually, you were a fucking weirdo, and I didn't know why you were talking to me, and I tried to ignore you for a while, and then you wouldn't go <laughs> you away. Go ahead and do that. You go ahead and do that. Look where <laughs> you, you end up. Leave, you wouldn't leave me alone. You stalked me, and then I finally <laughs> gave in, and here we are, married for ten years now. That's right. <laughs> All right. Somebody so... throw an eggplant up or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> pineapple anything um, <laughs> i'm gonna get myself into trouble let's just let's get out of here <laughs> all right why don't you go ahead and do your plugs there daddy hey all right well hey if you like comics i got some content for you over on the source material comics podcast feed you can listen to me all right now we're in the throes the throes of the celebration of 30 years of image comics if you liked image comics me and chris armstrong counted down the number one issues submitted by each founder for that initial launch of image comics. You know, we got Savage dragon in there. We have cyber force. We're talking shadow Hawk. Anyway, that's daily. That's happening right now. It's daily. It's not long podcast folks. We're talking 15, 20 minutes max. Uh, I think at the end we may get up to 40 minutes because we want to justify our number one pick, but we just dropped uh, I think our we've got three more episodes of that left. So if you like uh, you like comics, go check out the source material comics feed. I don't know if you mentioned it already, but we talked about Jurassic Park: The Devils in the Desert. Me and Ronnie yes. Adams dropped it on the yeah. We, me and Ronnie Adams sat down and it's John Byrne talking about a Jur- Jurassic Park. I mean, what? This is John Byrne of X Men fame, you know. Anyway, check out check that out. We me and Ronnie had a good time. There is a polar bear versus a pteranodon. Bears. Hey Jesse, remember bears? Bears. That that went right through my uh, yeah. I totally went through my brain. Manucci's got the ill communication. Manucci's got the ill communication. That's right. Jokes Um, between me and Jesse from previous podcasts. I don't expect anyone to get it, but it fucking makes me laugh. So go back in the archives, folks. And then next week on Wednesday. That's good stuff. Uh, next week, uh, Wednesday drops my solo podcast, hopping into source material. Count. Did you put something more in the one. body this time, or did you like I get the and I read a uh, comic? Count Duckula number one, right there, right in the body. That's it. That's all it says. I yes, would come I back. I would do a third I, in August when I stop doing this more than two two times a week. I would do a third episode a week just to talk about Count Duckula. That's a fucking great show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I learned a lot definitely when I was reading the comic and looking up some stuff for the wiki. Uh, so, yeah, I, I heard a lot of people really enjoy that show. I, I don't think you're the only one I've heard on the network actually mention Count Duckula before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and the other thing I want to kind of, you know, this I was born to do a podcast and counting down time travel movies. Go check out Kapow, the pop culture podcast. They just dropped part one of that. Where we okay, went so you've already from re- 10 to 5. You've already recorded it. Did you take over like Scott Hall? 
<laughs> no, I had I I know I I know a couple guys there that were definitely on my level and kind of, okay. now these guys these guys you know basically what we ended up with was a list a definite kapow list we every personality's got to get their flavor in there but we went from twenty to one and there was a whole like game structure that went into with these picks like people could veto mm-hmm. picks which I did trust you me I was like there's no way at one point I'll go ahead and give this away at one point a dude suggested field of dreams is a time travel movie get the fuck out of here <laughs> get the fuck out of here i was like field using of my veto right yeah. now i was like yeah so, that's a bit uh, of a reach that was, it was it was it was interesting like i said we got all flavors coming from each uh, member of the kapow i was on there as a guest you know, I loved being there. We had a good time. First episode of that dropped. Um, we're counting down time travel movies. Second episode of that should be counting five to one or wherever we landed. So check that out. It was a lot of fun. That's it. I'm done, Mark. We're going to be coming right. back hey. from the corner. Absolutely. From the corner to the deuce. The great works of David Simon, a podcast especially proud to be doing with my buddy, Jesse Starcher. All right. Uh, thank you. Hey, I want everyone that came out um, and watched live tonight. Uh, we, every, you didn't have to do that. You all have families, presumably you all have stuff that you could have been doing. There's only a zillion other live streams going on at the exact same time. Um, <laughs> but you, but you hung out to, you hung out to watch us talk about a 20 year old show. Right. <laughs> so we appreciate, we, appreci- we do, we appreciate you. And so anyone that hangs out with us and puts stuff in the comments, as long as it's, you know, you're not trying to sell me crypto or quote Bible <laughs> passages true story <laughs> we'll uh we'll have fun and we'll interact with you jesse and i will interact with you all night long all right um that's the last part of the night couldn't <laughs> be well be safe and behave